morning, Metro Believers Church. It's great to see everybody today. Um, we're just thrilled that you're here. Welcome to part 26 of the story, and we are counting down. Just have a few more weeks yet to go. Um, if this is your first time here at Metro Believers Church, I just want to welcome you and say thanks for joining us. We do have a free gift for you at our info center. If you'd stop by there on your way out, they'd be happy to, to give you that gift. Um, also want to welcome our live audience uh, on, on live stream and want to say to you, welcome to you. Just want to encourage you, if you're here in the Madison area, perhaps to get off your living room couch and maybe next week come to our living room and be with us. What do you say, church? We'd love to have you. Awesome. God bless you and thanks for joining us today. Hey, um, we are... Once again, asking you to upload your selfies of yourselves and your family studying the story um, this month. We have uh, another week to go, and then we'll make one last drawing for the gift card for the restaurant. We have a Buffalo Wow Wings card to give away. Anyone like Wangs? Come on. Well, you could, you could win that, that gift card for Buffalo Wild Wings. Encourage you to upload your selfies so you can be a part of that drawing for this month. Each month we kind of throw the rest away, all the ones that, you know, previous months, and we grab those that uploaded this month and choose a winner. And then at the end of November, uh, or the story, um, we are going to actually do one grand drawing for an overnight stay at the Kalahari. So get in on that. I think you and your family would enjoy that during the winter, um, and it's going to be a great time. So, um, just wanted to mention that last week uh, and the week before, I actually uh, shared a message that I think everyone here that calls Metro Believers Church their home um, would uh, really be blessed to hear that message. I think it would help you in your own personal life. It has me over the last couple of weeks encourage you to go online and listen to that message. I think everyone that calls Metro Believers Church home needs to listen to that message or those two messages. It was a message about exposing the devil. How many think that's a good idea? exposing the enemy and how he wants to do everything he can to mess up our lives and get in our business and, you know, get us, get us to think wrong thoughts and ideas and perspectives. And, and uh, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you individually and, and us as a church or corporately um, are in a spiritual battle. It's a spi you've heard me say that the last two weeks. We are in a battle. If you don't believe me, um, you just pull back the curtain and see what's going on, and you'll know that you're in a battle for your life. You're in a battle for your, for your sanity. You're in a battle for your well-being and your family and all of that. I, I had a battle this morning. I got up this morning uh, early and went into my study and um, just spent some time with the Lord, and it was awesome. I had a great time. I, I just felt His presence, and then you know, I sort of got here and was just walking through my message in my mind and my heart, and all of a sudden, does anyone know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, I just felt this spiritual warfare, this, 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 this sort of spirit fall on me that was not of the, of, of the Lord, it was from the enemy. And discouragement just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and if I hadn't have fought through that and, and came out on the other side, uh, it would be difficult for me to get up here and talk. Um, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Come on. Amen. And that you have to learn how to fight and engage the enemy and not just go by your feelings. 
because our feelings are so fickle. They, they mess with us. They mess you up. They, 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 they cause you to think wrong thoughts. I, I loved what David and, and Melissa said this morning. This is a battle. The name of Jesus is more powerful. Amen? And we need to use his name. We talked about that last week. But I've seen, I've seen families and marriages and relationships being torn apart. I've watched things happen over the last few years. Uh, I've seen relationships become strained and dysfunctional uh, over simple misunderstandings and, and, and uh, expectations. And as, as I mentioned before, as you know, I've seen churches struggling in this city, including we've gone through a time of struggle just to, just to get through and, and have, have people be on the same page and, you know, allow the, the, the Holy Spirit of God to have free reign in this place so that God can continue to do what he's been doing over the last 16 years. How many of you know the enemy doesn't like what's happening? And he wants to do everything he can to discourage it. And um, I found that, that, as I said last week, he likes to sow seeds of conflict and chaos and disappointment and discouragement. His strategy is to, to divide us because if he can divide us, then he can have his way. He wants you to think that I'm your problem and me to think you're my problem. I've said that before, but the Bible says, can I, can I get a good amen about what the Bible says? The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the devil, plain and simple. That's what the rest of that scripture talks about. It's, the, it's against the, the demonic oppression. It's against all sorts of crazy things that the enemy wants to use against us. And I said last week that we're in a war, and he wants to create misunderstandings and destroy relationships. And this is how he does it in 2 Corinthians 10. It's in your scriptures as well as your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Everyone say war. We don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Why don't you come forward and pass out those notes? If you don't have one of our, our outlines, you can raise up your hand and our ushers will get you one. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice that. Pulling down of what? Strongholds. Melissa talked about that this morning. We were doing spiritual battle just a few minutes ago. Amen? Pulling down strongholds. This is, this is the Bible, everyone. This is, this is our marching orders. This is the power of God behind who we are and what we do. For though we live in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. We don't war with physical weapons and, and words and, and all sorts of things. We don't, we don't use that stuff. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down. Now, here's how you destroy strongholds. Casting down what? Arguments or imaginations or thoughts or ideas, casting down those imaginations and arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every what? thought into captivity and to the obedience of Christ. One translation says making it obedient to Christ. Listen, your thought life will either make you or break you. Did you hear me? 
The battleground of the mind will make all the difference in the world. See, the enemy, the enemy wants to use thoughts, ideas, arguments. I, I can't tell you how often I argue internally. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Just these arguments, because the enemy is saying one thing, you know, the circumstances around me are saying one thing, they're trying to communicate a message that will get down on the inside of me and cause me to react and respond and live in a way that is inconsistent and incongruent with God's Word. And so you have to learn to argue that through. What do you argue with? The Word. <laughs> you don't argue with the Word, you use the Word. See? By what? Taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. See, we all have thoughts, and we tell ourselves a story from those thoughts. We, we create a, a, a storyline or a movie plot based on those thoughts that come to us. This week, I had so many different thoughts come to me that were from the pit of hell, from the pit. And if I would have in any way, shape, or form decided to allow those to take root and decide to make a story out of it and believe it, my life would be very different. I, I probably, probably you wouldn't want to be around me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just, just the, the, the nastiness of the enemy. And he doesn't play fair. How many of you found that out by now? He doesn't play fair. And that those thoughts that come into our minds... And, you know, it's just all of the circumstances around it sort of, sort of underscore that that is indeed the truth. And it's not. You know, it's a perfect storm, so to speak. It's, you know, all sorts of, somebody says something, you have a thought, the enemy confirms it with this, and before you know it, the whole line of thinking is happening, and you've created this complete misunderstanding, but now it's a very serious problem between you and other people in relationships. Oftentimes between our spouse. Oftentimes between our relationships with our family. Sometimes between our relationships with our church family and so on. This week I had a, I had a thought where, you know, I was texting somebody and they weren't responding. And I, you know, I, all of a sudden I just, you know, created this, this in my mind, this storyline of, you know, well, this and that, and, you know, they, they don't have the decency to respond when I'm texting, and I created this little, this little deal in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Is this real or not? Can I be transparent or not? And I, I you know, for a couple of days, it just kind of messed with me, and, and I just kept, you know, every time I'd have those thoughts and they would have, you know, these consequences that created this, this negative impact on my life in my mind, in my heart, eventually I would, I would take that thought captive <laughs> and I would make it obedient to Christ, right? I would take it captive and I'd make it... How many times that happened? Probably no, no less than a couple of dozen times this week where I have to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And then all of a sudden I find out because I chose to believe the best in the end anyway, you know, taking that thought captive, I find out the person changed their phone number. <laughs> Come on. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
Now, I could, uh, it was Dan. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I could have created this whole story and told myself this lie and created this stress and strife and division and discord and anger between myself and that individual. And that's, please hear me this morning, church. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't tell yourself a lie. Don't, don't buy those lies that the enemy wants to sow. You know, line it up with the scripture. Take every thought captive, every emotion captive, and, and, and line it up with the word. And you can, you can walk it through in the scriptures and find that, you know, the Bible talks about believing the best and forgiving one another and loving one another and keeping no record of wrong. And on it goes. That's what you have to do. You have to line yourself up and line your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is your soul, up with the Word of God. Because if you don't, you're doomed. If you don't, you're going to believe the lies, and it's going to constantly strain your relationships. Last week, I talked about two different types of warfare. I talked about spiritual warfare um, and some of the weapons, just a short list of the many that we have, of the weapons that we have. I talked about the Word of God as being a weapon. I'm not going to go through and preach that message again. Um, you can get the tape or you can go online and listen to it. Um, I talked about the name of Jesus being another weapon. Learn your weapons. Learn how to use them. Um, it's a foolish thing for someone to get a hunting rifle and want to go hunting but never learn how to use that weapon, right? Or whatever that might look like to you. Weapon number three was the blood of Christ. The, the fourth weapon was praise and worship, which we just did, and we were doing spiritual warfare. And then prayer, um, it was the fifth. And then number six was the angels of God. Now, I spent the whole service talking about this last week. And today, I just want to put a bow on this section of warfare and talk about lifestyle warfare for just a few minutes. Lifestyle warfare is when we live out the Word. Spiritual warfare is when we take our weapons from the Word and, and use them on the enemy, okay? Lifestyle warfare is when we choose to just live it. And when we live it, our lifestyle breaks the strongholds of the enemy because we're walking in the Word. Come on. We're walking in the Word of the living God. And we're do in other words, we're doers of the word. And the Bible says when we're doers of the word and not hearers only, we are a wise man, not a foolish man, okay? We're wise builders, not foolish builders. And so let me just give you a few weapons that we can use on a day-to-day -day basis called lifestyle warfare. Lifestyle warfare, the first weapon is forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. Forgiveness. So if you're writing in the blanks and keeping notes, that's that first, first blank. Forgiveness. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing more powerful than forgiveness. Jesus forgave us, right? We're saved and we have our lambs, our, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of forgiveness, because of the cross, right? And so forgiveness, when we forgive others, it's powerful and effective. It's a weapon when we choose to walk in that forgiveness, Mark eleven twenty five 25 says this, but when you stand praying, in other words, when you're in that prayer uh, posture, when you stand praying, check this out, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. 
How many? Who does that include? L- listen, this is, this is powerful and effective. This is a weapon. Forgive anyone who you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven can forgive you your sins. Forgiveness is a weapon. And when you harbor unforgiveness, it will destroy you first and then your relationships. Someone once said is, uh, unforgiveness is like walking, you know, is like drinking poison and wanting someone else to die. Uh-uh. It'll kill you first, say. And so forgiveness really is, is better on you than your enemy or whoever's offended you. So that's a weapon. Everyone say weapon. It's a weapon of, of lifestyle warfare. When we choose to walk in ongoing forgiveness in our lives. The second weapon is joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. What do you, what do you mean? The joy of the Lord is your strength, according to Nehemiah 8.10. See, the enemy, John 10.10, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its full. Or have it more abundantly, another translation says. And, And God wants us to walk in the joy of the Lord. See, the enemy, one of his greatest tactics is to get you out of joy, is to steal your joy. Simple fact, if he can get your joy, he can keep your goods. If he can get you, if he can steal your joy, then he can keep you down and he can keep you out. He wants to steal you. Always remember that. When every day you get up, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Depression and disappointment and discouragement is not what God wants you and I to walk in. Taking it for some, someone who walked, had a, had a battle with depression uh, two or three years ago, and I had to fight through that because the enemy wanted to steal my joy, and it was a difficult, difficult, dark hour for me to go through. But listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy, when we walk in the joy of the Lord, it's a weapon. The third weapon, I think, is generosity. Everyone say generosity. This is just lifestyle warfare. This is just when you walk in it. God is able to push back the forces of hell. Generosity is a powerful thing. Luke, Luke uh, 6.24 says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will God cause men to give unto your bosom or into your lives? Generosity is a weapon. When we're generous with the things that God has entrusted us with, it's a weapon against the enemy. And number four, just simply being courageous. Courageous enough to walk out the gospel in your own personal lives. As I said before, one of the strongholds of the enemy here in this city is intimidation. Did you hear me? Intimidation. Intimidate you and I to the point where we are not able to be, you know, up front with our faith and walk it out and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ <laughs> to the point where, you know, we're, we're closet Christians and, you know, we kind of, we pray in secret and we, you know, live our Christian life in secret. But courageous means that we're, we're willing to walk it out and become doers of the word regardless of who's around, right? Being courageous is another spiritual weapon or lifestyle weapon 
Joshua, God came to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, and told Joshua three different times in nine verses. You go home and look it up. Three different times in nine verses, be strong and courageous. That's a word for somebody here today. Listen to me. God's saying be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. Amen? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great word. For the Lord your God is with you. Listen, you're never alone. You and I are never alone. We may feel lonely, but we're never alone. God is with us. God told Joshua, wherever you go, I will be with you. New Testament, God told his disciples, go (laughs) to the four corners of the earth, right? And preach the gospel, and I will be with you wherever you go. Same thing is true for us today as believers. We're never alone. Amen? We're never alone. So be courageous. That's a weapon. That's a lifestyle weapon, just being courageous and knowing that God's with you. Weapon number five is the words of your mouth. Listen, the words of your mouth are so incredibly important. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, you can either use your your words or your tongue to build or destroy. Your choice. God's not going to make you do anything here. But the words of your mouth is a weapon. When you choose to align yourself from the word and use the words of God to be your words and let the words of God come out of the words of your mouth then it's powerful and effective against the enemy. Amen? And that's what God wants us to know. Don't use your words to destroy. Set a guard over your mouth. Watch what you say. Watch your mouth. It can build. Speak words of life to each other. Speak words of life to a situation. Speak words of life to your mind. Speak words of life to your body, to your emotions. Learn to speak words of life in every situation, amen? Not death, not critical, not, not you know, hurtful. And, and, and weapon number six is probably the most powerful weapon we have, walking in the agape love. Walk, choosing to walk in agape love. That's, that's, agape love is the God kind of love. It's unconditional. In other words, you can, you can kick me to the curb, throw me under the bus, and I still love you. <laughs> you know, you can say what you want to say and do what you want to do. I still love you. I mean, you know, God still loves us. And, and you have to make a choice. Are you going to walk in love or are you just going to respond to every situation in kind? You know, a tit for a tat, right? Return evil for evil or insult for insult. No, you were called to give a blessing. Amen? 
regardless of what things are said to you or done to you, you are still called to be a blessing to others. Agape love, look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, or verse 4. Love is, this is what you're called to do. Love is patient. We're supposed to be patient and kind. And love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. That should be us. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Help me, God. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, irritable. Talk to my wife for a little bit. She'll tell you. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes your pastor is irritable. <laughs> and I have to repent, right? I have to go say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Happened just the other night. But she caused it, just so you know. <laughs> I repent again. <laughs> no, she didn't, she didn't cause anything. It was all me. All right? It was late. And never, never mind. There's, there's no excuse. You know what I'm saying. Irritable, and it keeps no record of wrong. Does not rejoice about injustice, or rejoices in tr- but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never gives up, never loses faith. It always is hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. It endures. That's what we're called to, husbands, wives. That's what you're called to. Amen. When you're irritable, or you're rude, or you're impatient, um, or you're jealous, or boastful, or proud, or any of. You, you, you're starting to have a grudge against your wife or your husband about doing something. I don't know if you've seen that Allstate commercial recently, you know, where the guys, or no, it's Liberty Mutual, right? Yeah. Where the guy is talking about, you know, Liberty Mutual forgave me for one accident, and he's looking at his wife saying, why don't you? <laughs> Come on, help me, girl, you know. It's called accident forgiveness, right? We need some accident forgiveness in our lives, Right? So when that happens, repent. Learn to repent. Learn. Why? It's a weapon. It's a weapon against the enemy in your lives, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships. Walk in love. Be unoffendable. And if you're going to be unoffendable, you have to realize it's a choice, not a feeling. Did you hear me? It's a choice. It's not something you just all of a sudden feel. I'm unforgettable or undefendable. That's who I am. You know, it's no, it's something that I choose to do to be unoffendable and to be that person that God's called me to be. So in a few minutes we have left here, let's, let's finish up chapter 26. Some of you say, well, what does that stuff you just said have to do with this? Well, a lot, Okay. So, so chapter 26 was the hour of darkness. Jesus had a time when he looked like things were going to be defeated. And it was a dark time for him and his disciples. The disciples were in a state of chaos. If you, if you read the chapter, chapter 26, you had three weeks to do it. Chances are, hopefully you did it, okay? The disciples were in a state of chaos in this particular chapter. Um, and they were filled with conflict. As a matter of fact, they were, they were scattering and even denying they even knew Christ. Remember that? They were sad and discouraged and confused 
and many wanted to quit and run. And I told you a few weeks ago that there are pastors all over the city that are just one bad weekend away from quitting. Just, they just, you know, are, are discouraged and they're wondering what's going on. They are questioning their abilities and so on and so forth. And so as you read this particular portion of Scripture, it's obvious that God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us that we might have life. Is anyone thankful for that? He died for us that we might have life. I was reading um, through some of the notes, and I, I came across this small example of the love of a parent that, that I think underlines or gives us just a, just a small glimpse of what happened when Jesus was being crucified. On October the 16th, listen to this, October the 16th, 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed on takeoff in Detroit, Michigan, my hometown, killing all 155 passengers on board except for one. Now, I can, I can see that exact spot where that plane went down. It's a, it's a road that I've traveled hundreds of times as I was growing up. Only four-year-old Cecilia survived. Now, some of you are not old enough to remember that, but those of you that might, you remember what I'm talking about. Nobody? Okay. Um, my wife does. Um, only only four-year-old Cecilia survived. She was found walking among the wreckage totally unhurt after this plane crashed. And this is what happened. Just prior to the crash, Cecilia's mother, Paula, unbuckled her seatbelt and knelt in front of Cecilia with her arms wrapped around her. Paula took the devastation of the crash so that Cecilia could live. Paula took the fall for her daughter that she loved. Now think about that. God, similarly, God sent his son Jesus who wrapped his arms around you and me and took a horrible fall and, and all of its sin so that you and I, in the midst of the wreckage of this world, might live. That's what happened. So let's pick up the narrative now in your scriptures on your outlines today in John 13. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say as he was being led away to be crucified. John 13 Verses uh, 1, we'll get through probably verse 17. Huh, how many of you have faith? Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. Notice what's happening. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth, and now he loved them to the very end. So here's the setting. Jesus is getting ready to, to, to end his public ministry and his earthly life. And we all know that when someone is at the end of their life, they focus on the things that, that are important to them. They've, all of their attention is on things that are most important to them. As a pastor, I've, I've stood or sat at the edge of many deathbeds of people that were getting ready to check out of this life and, and, and sort of check into eternity. And I've never had one of them yet say, you know, can, can you just bring that boat around so I can see it just one more time? <laughs> you, you know, can, can you, honey, can you just get the fishing poles and put them right here next to the bed so I can see them? Or would you get my checkbook? 
you know, so I can rub it just a little bit more and, and remember all the money that I made here on this earth. Or some of the ladies, can you just get all those pairs of shoes that I have in my closet and bring, <laughs> bring them out here so I can, I can see them just one more time? They, they just don't do that, right? They don't, they never do that. They, they want, when people are getting ready to check out, they want the people closest to them and they, they want to say things that are of vital importance. Everyone say important, okay? So Jesus knows that the sand in the hourglass is about to finish and, and he's going to be led away to be crucified. That's what we just read, okay? So he gathers his disciples together and he, in, in this upper room for the Last Supper, and here's what he tells them in John 13, verse 2 now. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Verse 4. So he got up from the table. Imagine this with me. He got up from the table. Now, once again, this is an important time. And he took off his robe. And he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel around him. And after he washed the disciples' feet, verse 12, he put on his robe again and sat down, and, and he asked his disciples, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, because that's who I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have, verse 15, I have given you an example. Everyone say example. Let's everyone say example. No. Example. Appreciate that. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, and the Scripture is replete with this statement, now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. Did you hear me? God will bless you if you do them or for doing them. Question is, what was he trying to communicate here in those final moments? First, I believe he talks about the importance of authentic love. He talks about the importance of authentic love. He said he loved him, his disciples, during his earthly ministry, and he loved them to the very end. How many of you know that God wants us to end well with regards to our relationship with each other and our relationship to him? God wants us to not just start out well. How many of you know it's easy to start well? He wants us to end well as well. He wants, he wants us to have authentic love for each other. That doesn't mean that things don't happen and things don't get stretched and, and challenged from time to time, but we choose to stick together. Just like our relationship with the Lord. Has anyone have, ever had that been strained? Sure, but you choose to still believe in Him and walk with Him and trust Him along the way. The same thing is, is true of our our horizontal relationships. That's the vertical. This is the horizontal. He wants us to love authentically with each other. He wants us to end well with our relationships. 
I found out that God is not only holy, but God is love. Amen? He's love. And our merits, our merits do not enhance God's love, and our mistakes do not diminish it. How many of you are glad for that? So we make mistakes. It doesn't diminish our relationship with God. So we make mistakes in our relationships. That doesn't diminish our relationship with each other. We continue to walk it out and love each other. Secondly, he gives them an example of the importance of serving. In other words, if your love is authentic, you'll serve people. That's one of our sayings around here, honor God and serve people, okay? And, and James talks about what real religion looks like. But here's the deal. Let's go back to the example that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us an example of serving. He washed the disciples' feet. You know, and I've been around the church for a long time, a lot of years. And we used to, back in the day, uh, we'd have foot washing services. Perhaps you've never heard of that. Um, especially today, in the last 20 years in Christendom. But we used to have foot washing services where <laughs> we'd have a service and everybody would wash each other's feet. And, and, you know, that, there was something to that. There was, there was something in that. There, you know, there was a humility towards each other. But I think we, we sort of missed the point just a little bit in that, you know, in Jesus' day, washing feet was the lowest position that you could take. I mean, they had sandals sometimes, bare feet sometimes. And, you know, it was dirty and filthy and ugly and stinky. Does anyone have stinky feet? You know, uh, you, know you get stinky. And, G and Jesus kind of took all that into consideration. He said, I want to give you an example. I'm going to wash your feet. Now, today we pull off our, you know, $300 pair of shoes or whatever, you know, and, and we, we wash feet. And, and it is humbling, don't misunderstand me, because you have to kneel to do it typically. There's a humility in it, and I don't want to discount that. But if that's all we do, we've missed it. If that's all we do is wash somebody's clean feet and manicured toenails, no toe jam in there, <laughs> then perhaps we've missed the point. That Jesus was saying, I want to take the low, low place. I, I want to get dirty. I, I want to even be humiliated in some way. See, because foot washing required humility. And, and so Jesus sort of set the example to his disciples and said, you know what? I've given you an example that you ought to serve one another. And that is what God has called us to do as a church. Now, now remember, remember, this is an important time for Jesus. He could have said a lot of things. Did you hear me? He, he, could, have, he, he could have talked about all sorts of things in those last moments leading to the cross. And he chose, and I think for good reason, he chose to focus in on the idea of serving. Why? Because it has so many life lessons in it. 
I mean, when you catch a glimpse of what this looks like, and you understand how it works and what happens when we do it, it's life-changing in every area of life. The idea of walking in humility and serving, I am so blessed when I see people of, of you know, means, whether recognition by position or natural resources, lay all of that aside and set it down and kneel before people in all sorts of humbling, serving positions. I've seen doctors and lawyers and presidents of large corporations sweat and cry and not to say they're any better than that, but to say that, you know what, Jesus, the Son of the living God, chose to kneel and wash his disciples' feet, said something. It was an example that we should all follow. Can someone say amen? amen. So next time we get together, I'll give you the insights behind that. Because I know I'm not going to finish it today. So let's stand to our feet. <laughs> I tried. I gave it my best shot. <laughs> let's just focus on the Holy Spirit hovering in our lives right now. God wants to deposit something on the inside of us. He wants, he wants to, as Melissa said, to leave here different than we came in. And I found this out as a pastor and preached probably thousands of messages, studies or whatever, and I found that God confirms his word with signs following. And he will highlight different aspects of a message to different people based on where they're at. So, my challenge is to you is what is he highlighting to you today? What part of this message did God tweak your heart with? Maybe it was the worship portion of the service where God tweaked your heart, something Melissa said when she was crying out for his presence. Maybe it was something that David said or something that I said. We, we all did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the important thing you have to understand. That's the, we're all trusting the Holy Spirit to speak, to use our lives, our mouths, our hearts, our hands, our feet as an instrument of his love. 
So what, what part of this message, what part of this day, what part of this experience did God tweak your heart with? The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. If you didn't hear anything, chances are you weren't allowing him to speak or maybe not listening. As we enter into his presence, we open our hearts and say, God, what do you have to say to me today? Hopefully that's the way you come to church. God, what do you have to say to me today? I'm here, I'm open, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm listening. Whatever that looks like, I'm asking you to simply respond to the Lord. Let me see the hands of those that felt like the Holy Spirit tweaked you just a little bit on something all over the place. God bless you. Thank you. Some of you may be here and you'd say, you know what, I'm not really following the Lord and I want to. I need to, I need to surrender my life to him right now, today. I want to do it right now. I want to do it before I leave. You know, if that's you, the Bible says that we need to acknowledge him before men. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. If you're here and you'd say, that's me, that's me. I want you to pray for me today. All right, Lord, we lift up every single person that lifted up their hand in whatever area you tweak their heart. And we say, God, help us change. It's only through your power and your presence in our lives that enables us to be transformed. Transform us, change us. By your word and the renewing of our minds, I pray blessing upon this church. I pray blessings upon our lives. I ask you to do the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit, here in this place, here in this house, as we worship you. And we have the pastoral teams on the right and left. If you need prayer, please make yourself available to them. I just want to encourage you to spend some time and whatever that was, take it before the Lord and give it to him and ask for his help.